You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Humby Savetta. All right, guys, this is the last week of our series called Man Cave, uh, where we have been asking our fellas here to be a man beyond machismo. So uh, real quick, I asked a couple of guys before the service started to go ahead and help me out. If you guys would kind of start walking up here and stand here next to the stage. Um, as, I, as we wait on them, I just wanted to take the time uh, to talk about the pen challenge, right? So for you ladies, for the last 42 days, we asked you to pray for the men in your life, encourage those men, and to do both of those things without nagging. So I just want to let you guys know that as soon as this service is over, the challenge is done. Yeah. Yeah. So all that, yeah. All that stuff that you've been saving up, it's over as soon as the, this service is over. So fellas, I'm sorry, but you probably should have taken out the trash when she asked you to the first time, all right? You don't have to hear about it. Um, so yeah, but fellas, seriously, in all seriousness, if you're one of the guys in here that had someone that was praying for them, one of the ladies that were praying for them, or multiple women that were praying for them, let's just stop and give all of them a round of applause for being so awesome during this time. So uh, now I've got my man Bobby coming up here and my dude Adam. Y'all come stand right here and I'll stand in between you two. So they're going to help me out just kind of showing off some stuff. So what I want you guys to do is greet each other as you would like you're seeing each other at church. Just, hey man, what's up? Just give me, show me how you would greet each other. All right. (laughs) Bring it in tight. That was good, y'all. That was nice. Okay, so now, you got, you got a Cowboys hat on, okay. So now, I want you to greet each other like the Cowboys just won on a last second touchdown pass to Des Bryant today. Uh, you know, I want you guys to like greet each other like that just happened. Ready, set, go. Yeah! yeah. All right. <laughs> that was real excitement, man. That was awesome. That's cool, all right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a step back here. Um, <laughs> Uh, no, it's okay. So I want to show you guys a cool greeting that I know uh, that's like super manly, super good. Okay, you, you, y'all guys in? You ready? Uh, you don't have a choice. You're up here already. Um, so I want you to turn towards each other, kind of like, you know, like a prize fight where the dudes like kind of square each other up, whatever. Like that level of intensity, but not as much anger behind it, all right? So, so but you'll have to take a step in and like put your arm out like you're gonna arm wrestle each other in the air and like lock hands like you're gonna arm wrestle. And so like with that same intensity, you guys gotta look at each other, right? And say, I love you. (laughs) I love you. (laughs) All right, good job. Give him a round of applause. Thank you guys, thank you. All right, all right, thank you guys. So uh, by judging from your reaction, A lot of you guys found this to be funny, but let's break down why we found this funny. So in a recent article in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology, Caleb Warren and Peter McGraw explained one reason why we find things funny, and their theory is called the benign violation theory. There, that theory says, we find something funny when two conditions are met. First, it violates the way we think the world should work, and second, it does so in a way that is not threatening. Well, let's look at that. This was not very threatening to us at all because we were neither one of those guys having to walk through all the things that I had them doing on stage. The second part of it is what I want to drill down on is it was something 
that violated the way that we think the world should work. Because as we all know, two dudes standing on front of stage making a public display of love is not necessarily what we feel comfortable with, right? Like in, in that kind of way, because dudes are like, you know, oh man, yeah, bro. Like that's not exactly what we would expect from dudes. And when you look at the stereotypes, it's like, we, we all know them, right? Like boys in blue, girls in pink, Little boys are gonna play with like trucks and all kinds of baseballs and basketballs and all kinds of stuff like that. And girls are gonna play with dollies and teapots and, and that's kind of what they're gonna end up doing. That's what the stereotypes would say. And Dr. Laura E. Burke literally wrote the book on this stuff. In her book, Child Development, she explains the traits that are normally regarded to as masculine and feminine and how that's stereotyped and, and in some ways uh, seen and learned by our children. So some of the masculine traits include aggressive, ambitious, competitive, dominant. So think like Jean-Claude Van Damme in Bloodsport, right? Like that's masculine, that's the dude. Then on the other side, for the ladies, for the feminine traits, uh, they would list considerate, gentle, and kind. So think of like Mary Poppins, you know, even with like the little birdie sitting on her hand, so, so nice and sweet. So as we look at these traits, you see that the boys are taught in some ways to be mean, to look out for themselves, and to just do their own thing. It's the girls that are taught and stereotyped into being sweet and considerate and loving. So fellas, there are a lot of us, probably more than I'm comfortable to say, that are living out these stereotypes. There's a bunch of us that are living out this machismo in our life. There are too many of us out there that are being tough, right? That are being hard, bro, you know? There are too many of us that are doing that. And I'm here to tell you that there's more to life than that. There's more to life than crushing it with your bros. There's more to life than going to work and like being the most awesome dude at work. There's more to life than being able to throw a football or shoot a basketball. There's more to life than fixing up a house or working on a car. And there's definitely more to life than owning people in video games. Because how we act today is how the next generation of boys will act too. So we've gotta show them the right way. So what is the right way? What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to act? Well, let's look at what Jesus has called us to do. Where we're about to read right now, uh, at this point in Jesus' ministry, he has already gotten the attention of the religious elite of his time, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They'd been doing their best to try and catch Jesus in a way that they could charge him with something, right? They could bring some charges against him. Or how they can, they can show like he's blaspheming, like he's speaking against God. However, every time they came against him, they failed. And the same thing happens here in Matthew 22. There it says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. 
I love how Jesus responds here to this. First, love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Here, Jesus is quoting the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. And these religious elite know exactly what he's talking about. So it's not halfway. It's not most of the way. It's not even 99% love God. It's all the way with everything you got, love God. Then the second half of it, Jesus drops on them. This time he's quoting from the Old Testament book of Leviticus. Love your neighbor. We would call that the golden rule. To treat people the way you want to be treated. So here's what I like about this exchange. It boils down to one idea. Love. Everything Jesus calls us to do is love. That's it. Every story in the Bible, every biblical narrative, everything that we see, all the different laws boil down to love in one of two ways. Loving God or loving people. Think about it. Every single biblical narrative, if you think about it, one of those two things pop up. Loving God, loving people, or both. And what I like about this double love commandment is that both parts are equally important, right? Because he gives the first one, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then the second is equally important, love people. So if you love God, but you don't love people, you're a Pharisee, you're pious, you're completely heavenly good, always worried about what's happening in heaven and how that works, but you're completely oblivious and uninterested in all the people and all the things that are around you. That's not what God wants us to do. On the other side, if you love people, that's great. You go to and volunteer at a soup kitchen, you give money, you show up with food, you do all the things, you help out old ladies, all these different things. You're a great person by every single measure, but you don't love God, you're lost. Because here's the thing, you might be doing great things, but if you are tapping into the love and the joy that God has for you, you would be unstoppable, an unstoppable force. So here's where it meets us, fellas. Loving is not something that comes to most of us naturally. Instinctively having a loving heart is abnormal for most men. And what I find crazy is that a lot of guys that I know have no issues spouting out four-letter words all day long, all day long, just four-letter word this, four-letter word that. Let me give you a couple of my favorite four-letter words. I'm not going to curse in church. I'm just kidding. But the one word that they refuse to say, that they're afraid of saying, is love. And not only that, but dealing and acting in love. So with that being said, here's the big idea for today. A man beyond machismo loves God and loves people. A man beyond machismo loves God and loves people. So I want to challenge each and every one of you. Don't be a stereotype. Be a man beyond machismo. Love God. Be a man beyond machismo. Love people. Love the people that are around you all the time. So how can we do that? Well, let's start with loving God. Let's see what that looks like. For some of us, we might have been, we might have been brought up in a culture where the way that we love God is by jumping through 
uh, a bunch of religious hoops, a bunch of religious ceremonies. And that's the way that we love God is by going and doing a ceremony and walking through the thing, whatever. That's how you love God. For others of us, you kind of grew up on the other side. You like walk in the forest and you see nature and that's how you love God as you experience all these different things. Well, let's see uh, what Jesus had to say about loving him. In John 15, he says this, I have loved you. So when I go like this, you guys come with me, all right? I'm not doing this for fun. I mean, I, I like stretching, but. So I have you as the Father has me. Remain in my, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my, just as I obeyed my Father's commandments and remain in his. I have told you these things so that you would be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Each other in the same way I have you. So guys, when you're reading through the Bible, when you're studying it, and you see something repeated in a small amount of space, that means it's incredibly important. This is the word that you need to be paying attention to. In just these few sentences, the word love or loved is used seven times. That's how important it is in just these few sentences. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. Remain in my love. Obey my commandments. That's how you remain in my love. So how do we know what the commandments are. Because we want to remain in God's love, right? That's how we love God, obey his commandments. But how do we know? Well, the first way you know is by reading his word. Read the Bible. See what Jesus has done. See who he is. See how he acts and interacts with people. That's how you'll know who he is and what he wants. That's what you'll read about his commandments. Not only that, spend some time with him. Pray. Develop that relationship. Get to know God and see what his heart is. So there's a practical side of this. Uh, for some of you, you might be like, okay, reading, uh, praying, yeah, I, I mean, I've never really done that before, I don't know. Let me help you guys out with this. Here's, here's what I want you guys to do. I'm gonna challenge you with this. I want you, this week, to schedule a God time, and then do it, a daily God time. Now, I know, again, it, this can be a little bit overwhelming, but don't worry about it. This will take 15 minutes you guys can give up 15 minutes a day super easily, all right? So here's what this might look like. For the first five minutes, you read the Bible. If you're not sure where you should start, I would say start in the book of John. Just open up your Bible app, or if you have a hard, like, hard copy Bible, open it up to the book of John and read for five minutes. After you're done reading for five minutes, pray for five minutes. And Pray about what you just read. Figure out the wisdom that you can pull out of it. Ask God. Uh, thank him for, first off, for what he's done in your life. Ask him what you can do next with your next step. And ask him just to bless you in any ways that you might need some blessing. That's how you kind of work through that. Then the third thing you do, the last five minutes of this 15 minutes, is you journal. You write down what happened in that exchange when you read and when you talked to God. It doesn't have to be like this dissertation or anything like that. You just can write a couple sentences and say, this is what God said, this is what I read, this is what God said, cool, I'm done. And that's it, 15 minutes a day, and you can be doing that. So with that being said, as it says in the scripture, when you remain in his love, 
when you're following his commandments, when you're understanding who he is and what he does, joy will overflow out of you. Then through that joy, it'll start flowing to the people that are around you because we all know that God is so great that our mortal selves can't contain anything that he gives us. So his joy, his love that he gives us will overflow onto every single person that is around us just by us spending time with him. Because remember, a man beyond machismo loves God and loves people. So one of the ways that we love God is by loving the people around us through that overflow. So let's look at how Jesus, a few ways at how Jesus loved people while he was here on the earth. Let's look at the story of the miracle Jesus performed at the wedding at Cana. So Jesus is at this wedding with some of his guys, some of the disciples, and with his mother Mary. And they're sitting there hanging out, and Mary realizes that they have run out of wine at the wedding reception. I know, crazy, right? So she goes, hey, Jesus, can you do something about this? They've run out of wine. Is there anything that you can do? And that's where we'll pick up in the story. There it says in John 2, standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, Fill the jars with water. When the jars have been filled, he said, now dip, up, dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it, it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he says, then when everyone has, a, has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine, but you have kept the best until now. So how did Jesus love people at that wedding that day? He loved them with generosity. They needed some wine to get them through the rest of the wedding festivities, to get them through that reception. And he gave them as much as 180 gallons of wine, right? Because remember, there were six stone jars that carried up to 30 gallons. So if you break down the math, that's about 680 liters, which in turn would be a little bit more than 900 bottles of wine. Yeah, let me say that again. Jesus hooked up that wedding with 900 <laughs> bottles of of wine. That's generosity, right? Like insane generosity. Not only that, remember how the, the man reacted. Oh man, this is fantastic wine. This is so good. Normally they bring out the cheap wine at the end, but th you saved the best wine for last. So what Jesus did, the, he, what he gave them, this wasn't like a $3 box of white Zinfandel that he was handing them, right? This was like the $100 perfectly aged, beautiful, dark Cabernet that was just like amazing. So here's what he did. They asked for wine. Jesus gave them more than they could ever ask for at a quality that they couldn't even imagine getting. Isn't that just how Jesus works in our lives all the time? We ask for something and he gives us more than we, could have, than we actually asked for in a way that we couldn't even have fathomed asking for it. Incredible. That's how he loves us on a regular basis. 
So what does that mean for us? How do we love people in a generous way? Well, I'll tell you like this. We love people in generous ways by not being stingy. Don't be stingy, guys. Now, of course, like with your finances, whatever, I get it. You know, you can go ahead and, and be generous. That's cool. That's great. It's not what I'm talking about right now. Because with money, you can always make more, right? You can go out and you can make money and you can get some more money. There's always more to be had at some point in your life. But what you want to give is something that can't be made, you can't get more of. Something that is an incredible commodity in your life. Time. That's what I want you to hand out. That's what I don't want you to be stingy with. Give the people around you time. Be generous with your time. Fellas, I know some of you here today are going to go home and you're going to watch the Cowboys game this afternoon. When you do that, what I don't want you to do is sit down, turn it on, and tune the rest of your family out. That is not giving generously to your family. Now, you can still watch the game, but include them in it. Let this be a time that you all spend together. Talk about what this is, why this flag was thrown, why we're excited that this guy kicked a field goal for the first time after they picked him up this week. Talk about the game and explain it to him. Make this become not just your thing that you do alone, but a family thing that you do. And maybe not even family, but some of your good friends, the people that you love, include them in this time that you have. So this week, this is what I want to challenge you guys to do, whether it's the cowboy game or whatever, or I guess really, I, I, I don't want this to be the cowboy game. Here's what I want. I want you to give an hour to people that you love completely uninterrupted. I want you to put your phone away. I want you to turn your TV off. I want you to close your laptop. Don't even listen to music. I want you to be completely focused on the people that you love for at least one hour this week. Can y'all do that? All right. So that's one way that I want to show you that Jesus loves us. The second way that I want to show you how Jesus loves us is in John 13. So there it says, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth. And now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper. And the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. And that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. This is absolutely mind-blowing to me. There in the scripture it says that Jesus knew he had authority over everything. He was in charge of everything in the universe. There was nothing or no one higher than him walking the earth. But yet, there he was, before he left, down on his knees, 
washing his disciples' feet. So to give you some more context on this, the only people that washed feet during that time were Gentile slaves. The Jewish people looked at the Gentile slaves as the lowest of low in their social ladder. So what Jesus was doing was saying, I might be the greatest in all the universe, but I'm gonna serve you as if I were the lowest of the low. So let's just say he wasn't even who he was, right? Let's just say he was just a rock star rabbi because thousands and thousands of people were showing up to see him speak every time he spoke. And he was an incredible prophet. Let's just say he's those things and not the greatest in all of the universe in the history of history. Let's just say that. Even then, the levels that he dropped down to go to were incredible, were awe-inspiring. His disciples had never seen or heard of anybody doing something like this in their entire life. That's how he loved his people, with humility. And guys, the same thing needs to go for us. If we're going to truly love the people around us, it shouldn't be from a place of power. It needs to be from a place of humility. Because if the most powerful person in the history of the universe can be humble, you need to be too. If anybody had a reason to be prideful, it was Jesus. And I'm sorry, you guys just don't match up to him. I don't match up to him. So any pride that you have is ridiculousness. So some of you guys, your dads, and I, 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 gotta, I gotta talk about this. I, I need to tell you something. Guys, you can't be too proud to work your butt off for your kids. I've seen it before. I, know, I actually know of a couple of situations within our church where there are parents who are too proud to go and cut meat at Bill Miller's, who are too proud to bag groceries at H-E-B. Guys, that's not loving your family with humility. That just isn't. The idea of being a hardworking parent and knowing that you had to do that was instilled in me from when I was just a little boy. I would wake up in the mornings, go to school, and my dad wouldn't be there. He'd be at work already. I'd get home from school, go to bed at night, and I wouldn't see my dad. I wouldn't see him till the weekends because he'd be at work from sunup till way past sundown. He would be working on a truck, making deliveries all day and all night, working with his hands, breaking his back. He has never been too proud to love his family with everything he had. And that's what we have to do, guys. We have to love our families with the same amount of humility in the same exact way. Now, for some of you, 
You nailed this level of humility in the house. You love your family in the best way possible, and you guys are crushing it, and I want to commend you on that. But what happens is sometimes some of us might walk into the office. You might be like a a little bit higher up, or you might not be. But as soon as you walk into the office, you throw all that humility out the window. You're like that guy where they're like, oh, you hear somebody talking. Oh, man, we got a bunch of stuff that we got to carry. Man, who are we going to find to help us? And then all of a sudden, you're like this like dipping into the shadows so nobody will see you, so nobody can find you, like Homer Simpson into that bush as he backs into it. (laughs) Or like you're at work and you see the dude next to you is just struggling. The guy doesn't know how to do the job and you're like, well, that, that bro better figure it out. I've got my own work to do. That guy better figure it out though. Guys, There is nothing that should be too dirty. There is nothing that should be too tedious. There is nothing that should be so unwanted that you don't do it at work. If you want to follow in the footsteps of the greatest leader in the history of leaders, I suggest that you start by taking on the work that nobody else wants to do. Not only will you be more Christ-like, but it's gonna separate you from all those dudes that don't wanna do that work. Not only that, the overflow of what Jesus has done for us will wash over to your coworkers. They're gonna say, hey, why does that dude always do that stuff? Why is he always the one that takes the shifts that nobody wants? Why is he the one that always says that he'll take out the trash for everybody at the end of the day? And then they'll go, hey man, what's your deal? And you go, I know a guy that washed his friend's feet. And all of a sudden, you're able to let that love that Jesus gave you overflow to your coworkers. All of a sudden, everything can change. It'll just be exactly the way that Jesus had planned this whole thing for it to overflow from him to you to everybody around you. Generous and humble. That's how Jesus loves us. The culmination of Jesus' love happened not long after he washed his disciples' feet. Not too long after Jesus sat in that room and had his last supper, he was betrayed. He was charged and convicted to die on a cross. The person that was given authority over everything allowed himself to pay the same penalty that the worst people of his day paid. If that's not humility, I don't know what is. And it was up there on that cross that he took on the sins of the world all the sins present and future, he took on all of them. He was the perfect, blameless sacrifice for all of our sins. And it was there that he gave up his life so we could have access to a relationship with the Father in a way that we had never had before that. 
So we could experience heaven for all of eternity in a very simple way. What generosity. Just completely overwhelming generosity. When you look at Jesus, it's easy to see that he was a man beyond machismo. He loved God and he loved people all the way to the very end. Let's pray. For some of you, you might not have started your relationship with Jesus. Right now is your chance to do just that. Just silently pray something like this along with me. Jesus, I'm not really sure who you are and what you're all about. But right here, right now, I want to accept your generous and humble love the best way I know how. I want to stop living a life of machismo. I want to stop living a life of knowing better than you. And I want to start loving you. I believe that you died on the cross for all the wrongs I've done in this world. Thank you for your understanding and thank you for your patience for me. Thank you for your love. Now with our heads still bowed, for everyone in the room, whether you just prayed that prayer right now or not, I want you to repeat this after me to yourself. Jesus, thank you for the generous and humble love that you have given me. Help me love you in the best way I possibly can. Help me love people in the same way. Let me be an overflow of your love. Let me be someone that is known for loving my family, friends, and every person I come across. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your humility in your love. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.